Good morning. You know, I want to apologize first to the people that are running the slides. Uh, I'm going to preach without slides this morning. If you could just leave the screen black, I know you're loving it. Right? Make it easy for you up there. And there's a reason for that, folks. You know, I, I usually preach with slides, and I usually preach with notes, and I usually preach uh, in a way that I have learned from so many that have come before me, and I'm thankful for their teaching. But our text today in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and I would invite you at this time, open up the Bible in front of you. If you have a phone, put it down, please. Open up the Bible, okay? On page number 1123, you can find the text in your pew Bible. And there's a reason I'm doing this this morning. I trust that I'm actually following the instruction that we find in the text itself this morning. In John 10, 1 through 10. We are firmly halfway through your sermon series that is entitled, I Am... And in this series, we have been looking at the I am statements in the Gospel of John and discovering what it is that Jesus proclaims to be true about himself. And as Jesus proclaims to us what is true about himself, he is at the same time proclaiming to us certain things that are true about ourselves. And we do well to listen to him. If I can offer you some introductory material leading up to chapter 10, in chapter 7 of John, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. That would have been about September, October time. And he's been in Jerusalem for about a month or two. We know this because by the end of chapter 10, it says that the Feast of Dedication has arrived. That is in between Sukkoth and Hanukkah, if you're looking at it in terms of our modern Jewish calendar, between September and about December. Jesus has been in Jerusalem stirring up controversy because everywhere he goes in Jerusalem and all around the temple, he keeps saying, I am, for example, I am the light of the world, which you heard last week in chapter 8. And that triggered a huge controversy. And by the end of chapter 8, they were picking up stones to stone him because they objected to what he was saying about himself. And you know what he did then? He just passed through the midst of them. I wonder if he, if he went invisible or if suddenly they just couldn't see him. He was there and then he was gone. And as he left the temple, he passed by a man who was born blind from birth. This is in chapter 9. And you know what happened with the man born blind at birth? There was a question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God might be done in him. And Jesus made clay, he spit and made some clay, and he anointed the, eyes man, the man's eyes, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then he came back seeing. There's a huge investigation into this. The Pharisees are in an uproar because he made clay on the Sabbath day. And he anointed the man's eyes and healed him. And some were saying, he's from God. And others were saying, he's not from God. And they called the man who was born blind. And they said, what do you say? And he said, what I know is where I was blind, now I see. 
if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they excommunicated him. They kicked him out. They excommunicated him. Listen to understand what this means. This is going to be important for our understanding of the text that's coming. They kicked him out of Judaism. They said, you are cut off from the people of God. They, because he proclaimed the name of Jesus as true, they said, you are cut off from the sacrifices. You are cut off from the people. You cannot be a part of God's people anymore. They said, God is not your God anymore. When Jesus heard that they kicked him out, he found him. If you could look uh, just a page earlier here, in 935, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus replies, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. This is the setting for this text this morning. There is a crowd of Jews, a mixed crowd. Some are believing in Christ, some are not believing in Christ. There are Pharisees and there's this blind man standing close by who is just on his knees worshiping the Son of God. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Now when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, we do well to listen. In other texts, he says, truly, truly. This is like, you're about to hear truth, and you do well to listen carefully. And then he tells this illustration of sheep in verses 1 through 6. And it says in verse 6, that Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what we, he was telling them. They didn't get it. But that needs some context because, you know, back then the Jews were shepherds. I mean, they were agrarian. They were farmers. They understood farming sheep. They understood shepherds. So when Jesus told them these things, for example, if you look at verses 1 to 2, he says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. They would have known that there's a such thing as a sheepfold. This wasn't news to them. I mean, they would build their houses close together so that there'd be like a courtyard, and then they'd put a gate, and they'd have a, a man that sat stood there at the door, and he would let the sheep come in. And then the shepherds would bring their sheep in by night. They would leave them in the sheepfold, and then the shepherds would go retire for the night, and they'd have a hired hand standing at the gate. They knew this. It was all around them. They, they could have gone just off the Temple Mount and seen this. There were sheep everywhere. They knew that there was a watchman because thieves would come in the night to steal sheep. Sheep were money. Sheep were wealth. Sheep were food and clothing. The thieves would come over the gate and they would actually, they would actually kill the sheep in the pen. They would slit its throat and then toss it over the wall and then they'd sneak away. They knew this. If you look at verses 3 to 4, the watchman only opens the gate for the shepherd. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, this is fascinating. Sheep have a bad reputation for being stupid, don't they? They do. But sheep are actually smarter than we give them credit for. 
what's going on, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to show you right now, they're smarter than we are, right? Because what happens is this, you have five or six different shepherds with all their sheep in the sheepfold. If you or I to stand there and look, we can't tell one sheep from another whose sheep are whose. But you know who knows? The sheep. When the shepherd comes and calls them by name, they come to him. And you know what sheep are going to come out of the sheepfold? Only his. They know his name. I, when I was studying this, I was fascinated. So I pulled up YouTube and I, I had to find some videos that showed this. And I tell you, I did. I found a couple good ones. And this is what I saw. They had strangers go out and they were like, hey, sheep, here, sheep, come here, sheep. And the sheep just looked at them. Some of them, you know, shied away a little bit. Like, who are you? But then when the shepherd came, and the shepherd called them, I mean, the, sheep, the shepherd's not saying, here's sheep, here's sheep. He's talking to them like they're people. He's calling them by name. And he's, and, and he's almost singing to them. And these sheep come in mass and follow. And the one shepherd, the shepherdess went ahead and was calling the sheep, and the sheep just followed her, like around corners, like into the barn, everywhere. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. This was not new to them. They lived in this. They knew that the sheep, verse 5, don't listen to strangers but will run away. So when it says that Jesus used this figure of speech and they didn't understand what he was telling them, what they didn't understand wasn't what he was saying, but why are you talking about this right now? Why are you telling us things we know? Remember the, remember the setting. There's a group of, there's a crowd of Jews, mixed crowd of Jews, the man that was born blind, worshiping, and he just starts, hey, let me tell you about sheep. They didn't get it. So Jesus, actually he uses this illustration to teach two lessons. We're only looking at the first one this week. In verses 7 through 10. And it's an illustration. It's not really an allegory. If it was an allegory, we would want every part to fit to fit an explanation and for all of the pieces to flow smoothly, Jesus just makes a mess of this illustration. He really does. He uses different parts of it to teach different things, and he, and he applies himself to different parts. He says he's the door, then he's going to say he's the shepherd. How can you be the door and the shepherd? Well, there's a way when you're Jesus. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, there he is again, I tell you the truth, You'd better listen. I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And if you're used to other translations like I am, Right? He's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And this is the main idea this morning. And this is why I decided to come up here and preach to you with no notes. Because I think I heard the shepherd's voice. And what he was saying is, you know what we need? Do you know what we really need? We don't need fancy slideshows. We don't need iPhones. We don't need technology. We need the word of the living God. That's what we need. Jesus said this. This is the main idea. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When he says, I am the gate of the sheep, 
he is saying that he is the entryway to abundant life. If you want to live, go through Jesus. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying to us. But I want you to notice that he doesn't present himself as just like a static, inanimate gate, right? It's not like a door, like the doors at the back of the sanctuary where you open them, you go through them, they close on their own, and you move on. He presents himself as a living door, alive, with authority, and with power. Because he says here, all whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. You see how he's mixing this illustration up? He says, I'm the door, then he talks about sheeps and robbers, but in the illustration, the sheeps and robbers, they're compared with the shepherd. Seems like Jesus is really messing with this here. What's he doing? What he's saying is, I am the access point to God. If you want to come into the presence of God, if you want to be in the people of God, if you want the blessings of God, you have to go through Jesus. Remember, our, remember our, our, our context earlier. They had just excommunicated this blind man. They, what did they say to him? They said, you are cut off from the presence and people and power and life of God. And Jesus is saying, no. No, you are not. This man's worshiping Jesus. They are rejecting Jesus. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Did the blind man listen to those Pharisees? No. They said, we are disciples of Moses. They said to him, you were altogether born in sins, and do you teach us? Yes, he was teaching them. Something they needed to hear. Something that Jesus is proclaiming right here. It's not through the Pharisees. It's not through Judaism. It's not through law-keeping. It's not through methods and procedures and policies. It's not through, listen, this is a beautiful building, folks. It doesn't matter where we gather. It doesn't matter what we sing. What matters is, are you connected to Jesus? Have you come through the door of Jesus? Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus your hope? Is Jesus your Lord? That's what matters. Those thieves and robbers? Not. Not the way to God. Jesus says in verse 9, and he gives us here four benefits of Jesus as the gate. Four ways that he is the gate for us. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And we find this in the text by looking carefully at where he says, and, right? And, and the NIV is very helpful here because it gives us some periods. He says, I am the gate. The first thing he tells us, the first benefit is, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, I told you earlier that as Jesus says the I am statements, he's not just declaring things about himself, but he's declaring things about us. If he says, you need to be saved, then he's telling you, you're in danger. You're in a bad situation. That's what you need salvation from. If someone's like, hey, I'm going to save you. And you're like, no, really, I'm good. Jesus is saying, no, you're not good. You know, all of our society in modern America, we're, we're chasing our best life, aren't we? 
You know, the self-help sections in bookstores, they just grow and grow and grow. The self-help industry, I looked it up, it's grown like by like 6% every year. But you know what's growing side by side with the self-help industry? The mental health industry. It's growing at an equal rate. It seems like no matter what we try, it's just not helping. Why? Because we don't believe what Jesus is saying is true about us. He's saying you are lost, you are in danger, and you cannot help yourself. This is why Jesus came, because we cannot help ourselves. What is he saying we need to be saved from? What does the prophet Isaiah tell us? All we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Laid on who? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he's going to say that later on in the chapter, in chapter, in verse 11. I'm not going to steal too much thunder from last week, but it says the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus is using this illustration to explain to us who he is and what he came to do. Folks, we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. God has given us laws and commandments and we have broken them. We are liars, we are cheaters, we are thieves, we are immoral, we are adulterers and adulteresses. We get angry without righteous, it's unrighteous anger. Folks, I'm only, I, I hope I'm not alone up here. I'm saying we, this is all of us. Part of the reason we're gathered here this morning is because by God's grace, I hope you've come to realize that. We're here to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, aren't we? We're here to be reminded that Christ has died for our sins. How many of you look back over your week? Let's take a quick review. Have you had a good week? Have you walked humbly and uprightly before our God? Have you kept the commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Well, and then Jesus said, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. Right? So don't be angry unjustly either. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then he said, if you look upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He said, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. How, how far do I have to go to catch everybody? Not too far. We're here to be reminded that Jesus is the gate. Whoever comes through him will be saved. Upon him has been laid the iniquity of us all. Can we rejoice? Listen to what he is saying. Have you come through Christ? You are saved. You are washed. You are clean. You are free. And he says that right here. He will come in and go out. Look at the second sentence of verse 9. He will come in and go out and find pasture. He will come in and he will go out. That's freedom. Jesus said, I have come to set you free. What does that mean? That means that whether we are in the fold in a time of rest or we are out of the fold in the world and the rhythms of life, whether we go out or come in, if we are in Christ, we are free. We have peace. We have joy. Why? Because he has taken the sin of us all. And in his presence there is life. 
There's something real that he's saying here. Something real. The freedom that we have in Christ means that we will find pasture. And when I was thinking about that word pasture, I couldn't help myself. I said, you know, when the Lord is our shepherd, we find all that we need, don't we? We think we need a lot of things. The world tells us that we need a lot of things. But do you know what we need? What we really need? We need to be connected to God. There is no life apart from connection to God. What Jesus offers us is a connection to God. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? This isn't a new story. This is the original story. This is the only story. What happened? Adam and Eve were in the garden. He gave them a command, said, don't eat from the tree. He says, on the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And you know, I can't help it. I try to get inside their heads, right? I'm like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? We know they ate from the tree. They must have thought, I really think this is true. You could take it up with me afterward. They must have thought that in some way they could keep themselves alive, right? I'm like, I'm going to eat from this anyway, and I'm not going to die. I mean, Satan told him that. He said, you will not surely die. And they're like, well, maybe we won't. Maybe we can keep ourselves alive. Wrong. They died that day. But what was the death? It wasn't the, an end of their lives. I mean, it's not like they went into the ground. What happened was they were cut off from the presence of God. And that's the root of all of our problems. Is that we're cut off from the life that is in God. It was symbolized by the fact that he ejected them from the garden. They had to leave, right? They had to leave. But even as he kicked them out, what did he say? As he was cursing the serpent, he said this. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He will, you will bruise his head, but he, he will, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. I got that right. What he was saying was that the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. As he was kicking them out of the garden, he said, but I'm going to make a way back. Jesus is the way back. He's the way back to the presence of God. He is the door back to the presence of God. And this is what we find in the presence of God. Psalm 23, can't help it. Page 579, if you want to follow along, I'm going to read the whole thing. I want you to listen carefully. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When he says that we will find pasture, he is saying that when we enter in through Christ, God is our shepherd. That's what we need. We need God to be our shepherd. Who knows what we need, folks? Do you know what you need? I mean, I'm sure you know what you want. We know what we want. Do we know what we really need? The shepherd does. 
If we keep trying to find what we think we need, we're going to keep coming up empty. This is what America has been doing. This is what our culture does. This is what we do. We think we need something and then we chase it. And then when we find it, we think it's going to give us life. It's going to give us something fulfilling. It's going to give us something good. And it's just empty. It's all a lie. What we need is to be back in the presence of God. Listen, look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That self-help section, if they bypass Jesus, they're liars and murderers and thieves. Anybody that comes to you and gives you advice for how to get your best life now, that bypasses the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that allows you to continue to live as though his death and resurrection don't matter, that allow us to continue to live like we have never left the garden. They're liars and thieves. What do we need? We need to hear the voice of God. And he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus concludes by saying this, and I really think that verse 10 is a summary of the whole first teaching here. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. The Greek word that's translated to the full or abundant, it means overflowing, like, like an overwhelming, like, more, like not just in number, but in kind, like the best life, the good life. I mean, all of what life is meant to be the very marrow of life, the very goodness, the best we could hope for. Jesus has come to give us that. Now, as I stand here telling you this, and as I was preparing, I said to myself, what even does that mean? What even does that mean? I think, I've, I think we've had moments, if we've been following Christ for any, any period of time, we've had moments, right? Like how many of you, how many of us have had those mountaintop moments where it's like glory and I just, I don't know if I could take it anymore. And then the next day comes. Because we have this abundant life, but then we don't. We have access to God, but it, sometimes it feels like we don't. Because we still live in this world. The theologians, they call this the already and the not yet. We already are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but I really feel like I'm standing right here too. We're with Christ in glory in the presence of God because through Christ we are given access to the Father, but this it all gets in the way, doesn't it? We just can't feel it. I trust in, in most of your cases I'm preaching to the choir. You've entered through the gate. You have believed the words I'm declaring to you. If you haven't, I want you to hear an invitation. Come through this door who is Christ and find abundant life. What I'm declaring to you, even I find hard to believe. That in Christ we have an abundant life. Why do we find it hard to believe? I'm going to tell you, I really think this is the case. I find it to be true with myself. It's because of sin. It's because we're not listening to Jesus. And this is why this morning I chose to just leave the screens off. I don't even want you to listen to me. You need to be listening to Jesus. 
You need to be in the word, hearing the shepherd's voice. We are weak and poor and needy in the American church today because we stopped listening to Jesus' voice. We are not living an abundant life because we're not listening to the voice of our shepherd. We listen to a lot of other voices, a lot of self-help people, a lot of American pragmatic, let's do what works. God's not interested in what we think is going to work. He sent us Jesus Christ to show us, by the way, that nothing we can do will ever work. When Jesus was in the garden crying out to his father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the cup didn't pass from him because there was no other way for us to find life but the death of Jesus for our sins and his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to close our time with this. I'm going to say to be a disciple of Christ, to enter through the door is to follow him. I'm going to look back here to, the, to our, our beginning section here in verses 1 through 5. What does it say in verse 4? It says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now listen to this. This is the great paradox of Christianity. Where does he lead us? It says that he leads us to an abundant life. But where does he lead us? Where did Jesus go? He went to a cross. And what does he say to those that would follow him? He says, take up your cross and follow me. The way to the abundant life that Christ offers us goes through the gate of death. If we refuse to die with him, we will not live with him. I just paraphrase Romans. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. We need to die with Christ if we will live with him. Do you want the abundant life? Stop trying to figure it out for yourself and die. Die with Christ. Die to the trappings of this world. Die to the wisdom of the flesh. Die to your own desires. Follow him where he leads. And you will find not death, but resurrection. It's the resurrection life of Christ that is the abundant life that we seek. We cannot have it unless we die with him. We cannot have it if we don't follow him. So I want to invite you now to consider your own situation. I, th I, trust, I think that there are people here who have never heard the voice of Christ, who have never followed him to the cross where they must die. But I also suspect that there are a great many more here who have heard the call of Christ to come and die, and then when they got to the cross, they were like, eh, I don't know, dying, dying's hard. You know, Peter thought that he was just going to go with, with Christ to the cross, and then when he saw it, he was like, no, I'm sorry, no, I don't know that guy. We're not strong enough, folks. Peter was strong, he thought he was. What I want you to see is that the only way forward is to die, to follow Christ to our death. We need to recommit ourselves to this every day. 
We need to be in prayer to the Spirit of God because Peter couldn't do it before Pentecost, but he did do it after Pentecost. What was the difference? The power of God. Jesus said, remain in Jerusalem until the power from on high falls upon you. We cannot follow Christ to the cross and die with him unless the spirit of the living God gives us power. We cannot have the power of the living God unless we will fall on our knees and beg him for it. We don't have to beg him because he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus has purchased for us unrestricted access to the Father. Let's lay hold of it by faith. If you've heard the voice of Christ this morning and you would like prayer, we invite you to come up this morning. If you have never heard the word of the voice of Christ and you want to know what it means to enter through that gate, we invite you to come up this morning. Sam, would you come up and, and, and pray with anybody that's willing to come up and pray with us? We would like to pray with you. We would like to pray for you. Hear my words, folks. If you don't respond to this message this morning, if all you did was come and see a show, you came to see Eric try to preach without notes, you came to see what is this Fieldstone pastor talking about, then you came here for the wrong reasons. This message, you have to hear it. Jesus said twice, truly, truly. You better be listening. All you will find apart from Christ is death. This is true for the unbeliever. It's a real death. This is true for us as believers. We need him. I invite you to come up for prayer if you'd like it. If not, I'm going to stand here and pray for you for a couple of minutes while the worship team leads us in a couple of verses in the background here. I invite you to come up and be prayed for. If not, just sit and reflect quietly during this time. And consider the call of Christ and what it means to enter in through that door.